Hi everyone, Mike Lusseter here, Editor-Publisher of Farm Equipment. Thanks for joining us today. You're actually making history with us as this is the very first podcast recording from the editors of Farm Equipment. I'm a big podcast listener, particularly when walking my black lab in the morning before work. And I think for busy folks like you in the farm equipment business, you'll see this is a great way to digest ideas in those margins of your day while you're in the truck, during your kid's baseball game, on the treadmill, trying to uh, duck out of a, a cookout or so forth. So encourage you to check out the podcast. We're putting more investments in this area and think it'll do well for you and for us. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this free series in iTunes, Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you're going to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And we have some really big plans that we've been working on for months now that's all about content for you as a dealer and coming directly from other dealers in the trenches with you. Subscribe today and you'll get our big announcement coming here shortly. But today's recording is focused on compensation strategies to move used equipment, a topic that's so important to the industry, we added it to the agenda for the upcoming Dealership Minds Summit in Omaha. Everyone's interested in the levers that best motivate their teams. This is one of those topics that will silence a room. When successes or mistakes are shared on this topic, we realize that everyone stops and listens. So today in the short recording that's going to take you no more time than a coffee break, you're going to hear from three dealers with expertise in this area and the interaction between them as well as they bounce their ideas off of each other. We've got Sean Skaggs from Livingston Machinery, John Carlo from Agrivision Equipment, and Trent Hummel who has a wealth of dealer principal experience and is also now a consultant through the Western Equipment Dealers Association and Institute. Up first is Sean Skaggs telling you about the program at Livingston Machinery, a four-store Agco dealership in Oklahoma and Texas. Take it away, Sean. At our dealership, we've not seen where you can make a bad salesman a good salesman by changing the compensation plan, but what you can do with your compensation plan is influence what they sell and how they sell it with your compensation plan. So I've got some examples of that, most of which being, you know, some example bonus system that we've got as well as some uh, examples on uh, some things we use to kind of create competition among our salespeople and uh, use those competitions to kind of drive what they're doing and how they do it. What I've got is I've got an example of used equipment bonus system that we have in place, which is a sliding scale that basically weights the younger the age of the equipment, the higher the bonus is, as well as obviously the higher the dollar amount of the equipment, the higher the bonus is. But it just encourages them to move the equipment quicker rather than slower. And so we've got bigger bonuses on the, the stuff that's been there the shortest amount of time. And we're using that to kind of train our salespeople to roll that equipment as fast as possible. And we've seen some good results from that. And then the other thing that, I, that I'll show it will be our monthly scoreboard that we come out with. And so once a month, we have a scoreboard that we put out to all of our employees in the, in the entire company where they can see exactly what every salesperson sold as far as units, total dollars sold and gross margin dollars produced. And the salespeople get ranked on the gross margin dollars that are produced. And then we also have in there some things like the department expense percentage, and we rank all the departments on that. We rank all the departments on turnover 
and all those rankings are, are there for the entire company to see, which we don't just do that with the sales department. We do it with parts and service as well, but it creates a lot of competition, especially, you know, your more competitive best salesman will keep that up, and uh, we, that's what we've seen anyway, and, and they love to be at the top of that list, and they love the bragging rights. Next up, we've got John Carlo, AgriVision Equipment, a 10-store John Deere dealer group in southwest Iowa. Tell us about AgriVision's approach, John. I guess maybe to give the group a high level of how we view salesmen pay. We some people look at us like we're uh, we're absolutely crazy because we actually pay on available income. And if you guys are familiar with Spader terms, uh, that would include gross margin and volume. And I know volume is the sacred cow for a lot of a lot of dealerships, but we've found over the last and we've been doing this for eight to ten years. That drives the market share focus to build that volume volume pot, but at the same time, the percentage of the pot that we pay out is based on total margin dollars that are produced, whether that's new or used. So we are trying to equally reward and give that give the guys that are selling those used trades from those you know from those high volume new salesmen. We we try to give them not try we do give them a portion of of that volume. So I've got an example of our pay plan. We pay 16% of available income. And what I would do is I'd go through the comparison of showing how if you can drive the new sale performance and hit your market share goals when you get that volume kickback and you and you include that into your pay plan. Not only does the dealership perform better, it also gives a salesman an opportunity to make more money than just paying a flat, you know, 25% of gross margin is, is pretty common across the industry. So backing up to that 16% of available income, the other piece that we do is we give our store managers of that 16%, we break down in 1% increments four goals that they want to drive at their location that impact their sales. So they have the potential of 16 but let's say we have a used turn goal of five times at a location. The location manager, store manager puts that on there. And if they hit that goal, they get that point. If they don't hit that goal, they essentially go from 16 to 15%, but you wouldn't go below 12%. So, you know, our footprint stretches over 10 locations and, and some different geographies. So obviously we have different things we're driving at each location, but the, the gist of our pay plan is 12% of that 16 is strictly on available income. And then we have 4% in 1% increments to drive locational goals that the store managers put in place. So that's really the gist of our pay plan. I also have write down guidelines in our pay plan. We spell it out very clearly, and then we have our salespeople sign our pay plan. I'm trying to drive accountability as well through through our pay plan, and it's to be honest with you, where it's probably worked as good as it has in the in the current environment we're in. Kind of hard to show you that over the computer, but I guess that's my best description over the phone here. Quickly explain what the available income is as, as Spader's you know brought that to you. What's your your thirty second definition of that? That's pretty quick. It's it's gross margin and volume. The the challenge with this plan is, and and from a deer standpoint, that that volume payout doesn't happen. Or I say the volume, the pay for performance. The total and a large chunk comes in November after their fiscal year ends. So there's some speculation on where we're going to land. 
we've taken a very aggressive approach towards making sure we max out our, our volume and pay for performance. Uh, the 32nd spiel, though, is it's, it's gross margin that's generated on a deal and then the volume on the backside. John, that, that sounds like a, a really interesting plan. I'd, I'd love to see that all laid out. One quick question that I've got, just a personal question. With including the volume bonus in there, does that make your salespeople focus more on new than on used? No, and, and actually what it does is that the guys that are selling the used tend to make better gross margins. So they tend to get a, the guys that are high volume used sellers and have higher gross margin, they tend to get a larger portion of that volume cut. So, you know, we're, we're, we're running at roughly three and a half to four times turn right now on used. It, it drives a lot of used sales, to be honest with you. It makes a big difference what your, what your average margins are on new and on used too. And, and from our, in our market here the last two years, our, our new margins have been, we've felt more pressure than ever. But as the manufacturers ramp up the payouts on the backside, and then I'm, I don't want to get us off on a tangent here, I'm really looking at if, if that's going to become a, a large portion or an increasing portion of our profitability, we have to, you know, apologize. Are, are either of you in the DEER network? No, I'm not. Okay. So they, they keep ramping up the pay for performance um, on the backside for us. So there's, you know, there's more potential based on market share performance. So I'm, I'm looking at this saying, when I look at the growing potential on the backside, and it's a huge portion of our profitability, why, while I don't want to give that, give that away, we're, we're constantly looking and saying, how do we, how do we continue to incent salespeople to go after that when it's, and it's not always seen on the front side margin because of exactly what I said. We're just, we're taking very tight deals right now. So it's, my crystal ball is not clear on that one, but I, I know it's changing on us. And the difference, uh, what you're talking about volume and what John's talking about volume is CNH and JD pay volume based on your, uh, what you submit. So when you're selling your use, you're actually improving your volume because you're remitting that okay. money. Where in Agco's world, it's just a pin number off a new sale, so you get all your volume up front. Right. So as okay. he, as John sells used, more used, he gets a bigger volume check. Yeah. But and that's not a deer. That's not a deer thing. That's that's how we do it at, at Agrivision. Yeah. Deer deer pays their volume when we settle for it, and they have again. It's a it's a complex program. It's all tiered, and there's a lot of factors that play into how we get our volume, but. Uh, it's all a lot of it's performance driven. Yeah, well, nobody's got a better volume bonus system than Agco. It's the best one I've ever seen. You 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 get all your money up front as a pin number, and if the dealer's smart enough to manage it, then he he holds that pin number away from the salesman. And it just goes into a volume pool, and then you do what you want with it. But it's it's the best thing in the world when they did that. Maybe five years ago they did that. Sean, when oh, wow. did that? Uh, yeah, as far as changing it to where it was all up front, that was probably two to three years ago. Before that, it was a we had quarterly volume checks that we would get, but yeah, now we get it as a discount up front, and we're able to just take that discount at the time of settlement, and then we put that back, just like you said, Trent. We put that back into a uh, into a pool, and we use that however we need to use it, whether it's for capital purchases or to uh, you know improve margins on certain deals or to go out and get competitive business, whatever we need to do. Let's hear more from Trent who is bringing us his view as dealer principal in Alberta, Canada, 
and now a consultant who works with many dealerships on inventory management. Your thoughts, Trent? So I, I, Sean knows how I do it. I backload all the profit. Uh, I don't pay any commission on the new sale, and I don't pay if until the last trade is sold is when I pay the commission. But we still figure what the margin will be on new, and we still want our 10, 12, 15 percentage points on new. But I, I take that money, and I, if, if I'm buying the trade at $50,000, I take that gross margin that I earned on the new one and just backloaded onto the trade so I didn't if I, if I was making ten thousand dollars over on the new I wouldn't be paying fifty I'd be paying forty for the trade and if there was another trade under that I would be backloaded so that trade can get down to well I've had it into the negative twenty thousand dollars and then the guys go and sell the trade for twenty five thousand bucks we've we've netted forty five thousand dollars but we've had to we've had to net that much because we've sold the first the second and the third one the, or the new one the first and the second and never made any money and then I split that money, whatever the gross margin is, I, I take 25% of it and I split it equally amongst every salesman that was in that series of trades. So if salesman A sells the first one and the second one and the third one, let's say salesman A sells all of them, he gets all the commission. It's all his deal. If, if salesman B sells, if, if, if sells the first one and then uh, salesman A sells the second and the third one, well, it's just a two-third, one-third split equally. And what it's done is drive the behaviors that I wanted to see, which is get focused on selling used and get focused on telling customers that I don't want to take your 25-year-old Baylor. It doesn't work. And the reason they, they're more apt to drive, do that behavior is they don't want more guys in their series of trades. They don't want more salesmen to get their, their finger in it. So sometimes I can chase away that scabby bottom-end trade, and it's, it's been working really well. I've done this for – well, I actually did a different – when I had the New Holland store, we did a pooled commission, and everybody just shared it was an equal split, and that, that worked great. They worked as a team, but I haven't done that at this at this location yet. So, this system I got now is driving those behaviors that they're going after. They're out there digging up deals where the trades are really cherry because they know the cherries sell real fast, and they're also working very hard when they find a cherry. They're out there working to sell that cherry before they even bring it to town, before they even take it on trade. So 80% of the trades that they take, the salesman is selling himself because he doesn't want to share his commission with anybody. So he wants it all done himself. So he's out there just digging it up, and he's really going after the cherries, which you don't get those after-hours calls or those after two or three days after the sale and say, hey, you just sold me this thing and the hydraulic leak and all this crap on these old clunkers, and I hate clunkers. So, But it's driving the behaviors that I want to see. The, the idea is to drive the behaviors that I want to see, and that's when you when you – change a procedure or a policy, you drive behaviors. One of the reasons that we've got a, you know, we're, we're using a bonus system instead of just altering a commission structure is because we're very different in that we've got more salesmen who are actually on straight salary than we do that are on commission. We have some of both. We've got some that are on straight commission. We've got some that are on a small base and big commission, some that are on a big base and small commission, and we've got some that are straight salary. And actually, all of our all of our highest performers are the one, are the guys that are on straight salary. Um, and so that's the reason we've used a, a bonus system to try and influence what they do and what they sell and kind of counteract some of what the manufacturer does with their spiffs. And so it sounds like I need to be probably more clear about that. And Trent, tell us again about your advice about commission structures to drive behaviors, overall dealer health and the results, including how you shot up the, the turns that you've seen. In my system where I don't pay any money until the last trade is sold. I don't have any fear of 
having all this old, tired, used equipment sitting around forever and ever, because you're not going to make any gross money, gross margin dollars. You're not going to make any commission until that last trade is sold. So get out there and hustle it. And I, the turns went from point or 1.8 to something like 12 in the first year. They just don't sit on their used. They find a buyer. That's awesome. That is. Thanks, guys, for taking the time out today to share your thoughts with the industry on a topic that we know everyone wants to learn from. Those of you who will be at the Dealership Mind Summit in early August in Omaha, note that Sean, John, and Trent will all be covering this topic in detail in a panel. I'll encourage you to come with your questions and be sure to not only see that panel discussion, but check them out during roundtables, the meals and breaks in the action. I'm going to look forward to seeing many of you there as well at this sold-out dealer event. I think it's uh, really going to be enlightening and a great event. For the listeners today, I hope you'll do me and our team a favor and let us know what you think of today's podcast. If you'll please drop me an email, my address is mlesseter at lessetermedia.com. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. We've got a major announcement coming that's going to essentially put you across the table from the very best minds at farm equipment dealerships, doing the same things that you do each and every day at your stores. For Sean, John, and Trent, and our entire staff here with Farm Equipment Magazine, that's an over and out. Thanks for joining.